Hi and welcome to Dietless Living 360 Degrees Overcoming Weight Loss Obstacles with me, your host, Katie Gordon. As a weight loss coach, I help my clients to overcome their weight loss obstacles in six simple steps so that they can lose weight their way and lose it for life. But that old saying that it takes a village to raise a child also applies to reaching our weight loss and health goals because some of the obstacles we have to losing weight reach out into other areas of our life. We often have challenges and obstacles with relationships, work, finances, home, businesses and families. And sometimes we have other injuries or more complex health issues that are going on. And whilst how to overcome weight loss obstacles in six simple steps shows you how to create happy, healthy habits and maintain those through those challenging times, we also need professionals to help us resolve those obstacles. So with that in mind, Dietless Living 360 Degrees brings in those other professionals to help you. And today we have the absolutely remarkable Lauren Cooper. Lauren is an independent consultant that specialises in marketing insights and strategies. Based in Oxfordshire, she provides marketing, management, support and strategic consultancy services across small and medium-sized businesses. But before starting her own consultancy, Lauren had extensive marketing experience at BP, running their global fuels marketing campaigns, as well as managing and activating the sponsorship programs like the 2012 London Olympics, Paralympics, the Ford World Rally Championship team, the VW Dakar Rally team, and the 2010 South Africa FIFA World Cup. Before that, Lauren worked in project roles for Virginia Media and then Yahoo, implementing change management projects on process and integrations. Earlier, though, in her life, she spent three years travelling the globe and tapping into her love of travel and adventure. In her spare time, though, goodness, does she actually have any spare time? Lauren enjoys anything that's challenging and takes her to new destinations. She's a road cyclist, a mountain biker, a runner, swimmer, snowboarder and gardener. She did four seasons in Chamonix where her love of the mountains and outdoors and snowboarding absolutely grew. Since arriving in the UK, she's taken up different challenges from five-day mountain biking events the Ironman triathlons, adventure trail racing and running, and the Marathon de Saabs, which is a six-day self-supporting race across the Sahara. We are so going to be talking about that. So welcome <laughs> to the show, Lauren. It's so great having you with us today. Could you tell us a little bit about what you do and the main way that you help your clients? Thank you for that intro. Sometimes you can't believe it's your own intro. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Uh, so I am a strategic marketing consultant and there's so many different types of marketing consultants. I guess probably the best way of describing me is if you imagine marketing like a production line and I'm at the front end of it. So I do all of the analysis, the planning and the strategy. And then that gets handed over to either a campaign or an internal team in an organization, they then run with that and I'll be checking in at various points. And then I come in at the end and do the measurement. So if you imagine it almost like as if it's a train, 
So it's mm -hmm. getting that train um, on to the right track and then getting the train moving and then checking at those checkpoints and making sure that they get to their destination. Um, and one of the things in particular is I, the reason I work with small organizations is because they lack both the capability and the capacity to do that. So sometimes, you know, they've got people who are delivering great stuff with campaigns, but it's actually getting to the point of knowing what it is they need to do. Um, so it's helping them achieve that. And because I have an extended freelance team, I can scale up and down and help them get to that point really quickly. So, you know, whether it's producing stuff or finding the right expertise for the particular thing they need to do, I can help them do that really quickly. Oh, awesome. I love that you have an extended team. So you work solo for yourself, but you do have a team that works with you, even though they're not per se your team. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's a really great thing because um, it's something I learned, but the hard way, really, probably about a year or two ago, I had this whole ambition of this, oh, I just want to keep it to myself. And I think it'd be straightforward and simple. And actually, there's so much value in working with um, uh, other team members because you collaborate mm -hmm. and they, you know, they do both things that challenge me in my way of thinking, but also improve things that I haven't really thought about. So you might work with people who have got an expertise or they've learned about a new skill set. And yeah. that, I think, particularly adds so much value to, to what I do in my own business, but also what I can add value to other clients. Yeah, because you, you're bringing in so much more expertise on top of your already phenomenal background. So that's just added bonus for anyone who works with you. Yes, definitely. Love it. Thanks so much. And I really do. Uh, we're going to get to this because it's one of the reasons that, uh, you know, I mean, you, you're marvellous with everything that you've done work-wise, but it's all your triathlons, bike running, the, the marathons, everything that you've done there that I'm really going to dig in somewhere along the way here because what I love about that is that mindset that get that allows you to be able to do that and perhaps some of that will come out in our conversation as we go um, and I'd actually like to start with asking I ask all my client all my clients all my guests <laughs> about <laughs> the the hardships that they've had to go through in life like is there a particular hardship or obstacle that you've had to overcome in your life and how did you do it you know it's it's this is kind of the stuff that we I really like to share with everybody is just how do you get past the obstacles in your life so yes I did um, when I um, moved to uh, the UK um, so I moved to the UK oh, in 2000 and um, uh, I I met someone, um, we sort of go out, we moved in, and then we got married. And um, after about uh, six months or so after we were married, he had a brain tumour. And um, so I spent most of my 30s actually nursing um, uh, my poor husband, who was back and forth to hospital in chemo, radiotherapy, did all extensive surgeries, and uh, yeah, it was kind of like 30. Uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't really have a normal 30s that most people do. You know, they they're at that point having kids and doing getting on with their lives. And that didn't really happen. And uh, unfortunately, 
um, he did pass away um, just on his 39th. So he oh. passed away really young, which was um, really, really hard. And yeah, it was, uh, it was an unbelievably tough time. And um, it really gives you context to think about what's important in life and, you know, really what really matters. Because, yeah. you know, people kind of focus on certain stuff that they think that's really important. And actually, you know, life experiences and the fact that you are healthy and strong um, really makes a difference. And I, I definitely think that had a big impact in my attitude to, to what I would be doing in life. And the fact that, you know, that's why I do a lot of physical things, because I think your body is such an amazing instrument and there's so much stuff you can do with it. And, you know, I don't think people realize you have a limited time, you know, and you don't know how much time you have. Yes. Some you may have forever and you sometimes you may not. And then you think all of those things, you know, if something happens to you, you, you can take those memories and experiences with you rather than stuff. And I think there's very little, you know, I have really little interest in, um, in things and buying stuff and fancy things. I'm just not that interested in things I, I like to rather spend my money on holidays and adventures and uh you know going away I think is my my big thing so it was you know it was a really tough time and you sort of I, I just really had to take a step back and just stop fighting I think trying to have a normal life you just go well this is your life yes. and at the time you just know this is what you have to do um and yeah it was uh it was really hard and it took um it took a long time to to recover out of it because you you sort of have this weird like a brain fog and kind of numbness that happens afterwards yeah and uh oddly enough I actually have a friend whose um, husband recently passed um very similar situation and so I can just feel exactly what she's going through you just you kind of almost like everything is on mute around you. So when people are talking, I just remember I almost like a blackout from that period. I don't really remember much afterwards, you know, for about a year. And then I finally sort of, you kind of find yourself again. And, um, but, you know, I, I think exercise was really the thing that took me through it because, you know, it was the only way to sort of calm my brain down and just relax me because I just felt on edge all of the time and you know running cycling swimming was definitely the way to recover and of course really great friends was uh, I was very lucky I had some great supportive friends. That's an amazing story thank you so much for sharing that because what you're you went through it, you're, you're not the only one there's so many people that mm. lose that somebody that they love at such a young age and even at an old age, it's a shit time, right? There's nothing yeah. good about it in any way, shape or form. And there was quite a few points that you made in there that I'd like to circle back to, if you don't mind. When somebody passes, because you, you touched on it there, which is when somebody passes, how long was your husband sick for before he passed? It was a few years, obviously. Uh, it was probably... I think he'd had some form of uh, of it um, in the first two years that I knew him, and that they hadn't properly diagnosed it, so they misdiagnosed it as something else. Yeah. Um, so I'd say he was sick for about uh, eight years, six eight years. Yeah, and it was uh, you know he'd go through different patches, so he'd have the chemo and then he'd be fine for you know because they're like oh everything's clear, it's all fine, 
and then it would come back again. So yeah. he had three, two, two other batches when it came back. Uh, and then it's just, you know, the very intensive chemo and obviously feeling really unwell. Yeah. And that's the hard thing, right? This is kind of where you spoke about how it was after he passed that, you know, I mean, grief in itself is just a black hole that we fall into. And it's different depending on who's passed. But when you've lost somebody that you're you're married to, your husband or wife. But I also know from experiences of my friends, people that have um, been looking after somebody uh, like for a long time, it's, it's kind of a double whammy on when the grieving process comes because you haven't been living your life yeah. Like a no, you know, it's not like when somebody passes suddenly or you know something suddenly happens. You your your whole life has changed for that whole time. Like you say, you're looking after them, you're putting work on hold, socials, all of everything just changes. And so when they finally pass, everything that you've been doing changes with that, and yeah. that really does extend and compound that black hole that you fall into, which would have been so much more challenging for you being, and you said you had really good friends, but you didn't have your family there because they're in South Africa, aren't they? Mm, yeah. And I mean, it's like you say, it's purpose, isn't it? Yes. Your whole purpose is focused on that one person. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, what do I do now? Because it is almost, you know, like having a child really, because you're sort of yep. managing the person, looking after them, and then suddenly it's gone. Yes. And it takes a while to to readjust and, and realize what you're doing. The sort of irony of it, which is slightly odd, is that my father passed away from um, cancer and he was just 42. So my mom went through the same thing. Obviously, she had kids, so yeah. they're slightly different. But she was the same that she is originally English and living in South Africa. And then my dad passed away and her family weren't there either. So she was sort of on her own um and you know it's it's really strange how we kind of following almost a similar Which, life um path yes wow and she would have been uh, on the phone to you obviously you guys would have been in touch a lot which would have been great because she would have actually understood what you were yes. going through because I think that's really crucial in grief I've been through many bouts of it myself and I've actually talked to quite a few people about it on the show as well because it's such a, a normal part of life, yet nobody talks about it. You know, when you're going through it, people know that somebody, you've lost somebody, but then people don't want to talk about it with you. They're afraid they're going to upset you. And so it's kind of this, like you say, everything was on mute and you kind of feel a bit separated from everyone because um, my dad summed it up really beautifully after my brother passed. He said, um, it's weird. Nothing changes in your life. Everything is exactly the same, but it's like a hand has come in and just changed all the dials, you know, because well, everything's the same, but nothing's the same. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's a very strange thing to do and just get used to it and then just know how it works. And, you know, initially my mom did say, oh, look, I'll come over. And I just said, so look, I, I think it's going to be fine because I just thought, in my head, I, I almost felt like then I'd have to then manage somebody else because obviously yes. she's not 
I mean, she's from here, but she doesn't live here now. Yes. And uh, it was fine just having her on the phone. And I just said, look, just give me some time. And then what I did was just go back home for, a, you know, a few months, which also helped. And yeah. I think that was nicer because that's almost like an escape um, just to have some breathing space and yeah. you don't have any reminders or anything. So that's kind of nice in a way. Yes. But, um, yeah, yeah I, th I think it's um, it just takes some time to get used to it. Um, and you just suddenly your life has changed again. Yes. Uh, and then suddenly yeah. you're on a new path. And, you know, that's the way it goes. You're still it's like your life just keeps reinventing itself. Yes, it does. And I love that you said that exercise is what got you, you know, got you through. And I think that is because when we're exercise, we're in the moment where there's no self chatter, all of that goes away and you are present with yourself because you're pushing through with your body, you're running, you're breathing, you, you're outside, you're checking out the scenery and it's such a, a grounding moment, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. It's just a, it's a way of, I think, process. I mean, there's some, I think there's some parts of it is there's, there's a kind of, if I call it sort of a mixed, a mixed thing. So you've got the positive element where you're, you're, you're able to, you know, just release thoughts. But I think there, there was some element of it that I think sometimes you almost use it to, to run away from things. Because yes. I, I found it quite hard to be still at that time, because I think being still is then, you know, there's too much thought. So you just keep going. Yes, get very busy in the grieving times. Yeah, so it had, you know, it has the ups and downs. So it's sort of some of the things that work and then some that don't. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely was the thing that helped me get through it, for absolutely sure. And it takes so long. Like grief is such a, oh, such yeah. a strange beast, you know. it's Like I said, it's different every time and it can take years really it's you know I mean my dad passed five years ago and I can still like even today I don't know weird things you think about when you're vacuuming <laughs> doing the floors and thinking <laughs> oh yeah I reckon I you know the whole grieving thing has really been going for the whole time I'm, and I don't know how many times I've thought yeah I think I'm coming out of it now but you know and then I go oh I said that six months ago or 12 months ago it's, it's you know what it is it's waves Yes. And I think it definitely, I don't think um, grief all comes at one moment. No. It has different sort of, you know, just imagine the waves coming in and out and then it draws out and you think, oh, fine. And then, oh, no, and it comes another wave. And it, and it comes at unexpected moments. Yeah. I had this horrendous day at work and it wasn't a horrendous day. Everything's fine. And this is, I don't know, it must have been about six, eight months after um he'd passed and you know I was at work fine and I had a lovely boss and we we're in a performance review and she just asked me she said so how are you doing oh my goodness that was it <laughs> Jack in the box. I was just mortified and I don't know where it came from because I was I would, thought I was feeling fine but it was because she asked me such a direct question yes. it just completely set me off I think you know I've been talking around stuff but when she asked me directly I was like, then she just sent me home. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. She just said, oh, my God, are you all right? I said, no, I'm just, I couldn't get myself back together. But, you know, just it's unexpected times. Yeah. And you're right because nobody talks to you. That's what I mean. You know, people don't want to bring it up in case you cry and then they don't know what to do and stuff. And we do. We just get used to 
going along and getting on with life. But then, like you said, somebody asks you a direct question. Oh. How are you? Well, <laughs> since you ask. <laughs> <laughs> Horrendous. I know, but it does come in waves. Grief is one, I think, the heart, one of those hardest things that you have to get on with life. And because it comes in all yeah. shapes and forms for all kinds of reasons, and it's never the same twice, just never mm. the same twice. So exercise is good. Yes. And were you um, into your marriage? Like you obviously you did your four seasons in Chamonix, um, which was prior to meeting your husband. I'm guessing that was in your earlier years. Were yeah. you doing marathons and things back then? No, no, not at all. I mean, you honestly, Katie, you would not recognise me if you'd met me when I was in South Africa. I was completely different. I was a right Miss Glamour, Glamourpus, and I always used to go shopping. And I had clothes, cupboards full of clothes and shoes and everything matched. And then I went backpacking and then my whole life changed. Because, you know, you live, you know what it's like. You, everything you have is in your bag. And you suddenly just go, I don't really need stuff. Because the more things you have, the more you have to carry. And I just suddenly, it's almost like you offloaded it. And then your objectives changed. And then because I was traveling um, you know, I met a lot of people, but once I got to Chamonix, that really changed because all the other stuff I was doing was more, you know, walk, working, backpacking, sightseeing, and then getting to Chamonix. I met a lot of people who were very much outdoors, extremists, adventure races, and it just kind of influenced me. And I just suddenly thought, oh, this is all great. It was just really exciting. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just got into it and did, and then of course, did the um, snowboarding, but then a lot of people mountain bikes, so learned a bit of that. And I think the running thing came a bit later. I, I think that because I, I started doing a little bit of running through work, but then all of the bigger stuff actually happened after my husband passed. And I think it was more of a focus for me. So it was yep. like a goal yep. and something I was working towards. Yep. And I think that's that's where the difference came in of doing those bigger, bigger challenges rather than just a, a fun race. Yes. Yes, because you, you needed to reinvent your purposes and and you love sport anyway, so it just was a match made in heaven, really. Yeah. Something for you. So I really do. I'm, I think I want to ask you, like I, I could do 10 podcasts with you, I reckon, because <laughs> I want to ask you my standard questions because that often uncovers so many things, but I have so many questions about doing the triathlons and the one across the Sahara because I've read so much I've read other people's stories and so you know and they talk about what they go through and it's like oh, I want to talk to a real person who's done it because I reckon <laughs> you know like that I want that real story um, but I'm going to go back to my standard questions and ask you you know, we all take risks in life. So what's the biggest risk you've ever actually taken and why did you take it? I think probably uh, it could be mixed. There's two. There's probably two, two stories I think could be. Uh, one was when I was in Egypt traveling, but that was a while ago and I caught a very dodgy cat taxi, but that's, that's just part <laughs> of traveling. I'm sure you've had a lot of those stories. Um, and then probably the other is is my starting my business and um, 
it kind of evolved from, and I think a lot of people do this, you get the opportunity. I've um, been working for BP for a long time and they changed the teams around and there were some redundancies came on. And I thought, do you know what? I think this is the time that I need to make a move because yeah. I'd been thinking about doing something else and I'd been with them for quite a while. And I started off doing consultancy, but I got a lot of my work through um, recruitment agencies. So the way um, you used to be able to get consultancy work was through that and job sites, which was great. And um, after I started that, I started then doing a lot more studying. And I, by the way, I was a rubbish student at school. Absolutely <laughs> rubbish. I just scraped through by the skin of my teeth passed and like literally passed I never went to uni um, because I didn't really think uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do so I started working straight away so I kind of am I've done everything in reverse so now I'm, then I started studying at like in my 40s so it was like much later that I started doing that and um, I because I then went into consultancy I felt like there was some holes that was missing yeah. so I started doing some studying of that and then after a few years, I then decided to do the MBA, which I have to tell you was the hardest thing to do. Actually, it was almost harder as doing a desert race because my brain wasn't engaged in that way. And I think, you know, people who've been to uni, you've done a little bit of, yeah. um, you know, uh, studying and you understand the process of studying and how you write a dissertation and all yeah. that. None of that. And, you know, I thought, oh, well. I first started off thinking I'd quite like a degree. And then I thought, oh, well, I may as well just do a master's. Let's just do a marathon. Let's just go for it. <laughs> well, I thought, Why work your it. way up? Let's just get yeah, in. Just, just dive in. It's fine. Uh, and, yeah, there was a lot of, oh, uh, trying to come it for air. But the reason I did all that is because, you know, definitely with consultancy, the point is that you are, somebody's paying for your expertise and your knowledge and so yep. you have to keep that present anyway after the during the MBA I think that was when I also realized I needed to diversify the business and and um, start to change the way I, I actually get work because I was relying a lot on recruitment agencies and sites and it was all very much reactive yeah. so you know whatever yeah. came to me and I kind of didn't have any control of the type of work I was doing yeah. Uh, and also, you know, when I worked and how I worked and at the time I did that um, was more for, you know, um, my uh, sustainable work and all of that in the future. And it, it was just unbelievably ironic timing because they've done a big switch in the tax laws here in the UK. Mm. So um, everyone who was a consultant before doing this the way I used to get has to go into an umbrella company. Now it's all very complicated. Oh, right. Just pure timing that I just happened to make that decision before all of that change started happening. So luckily I've, I've managed to sort of skirt out of it and just go, I'm not going to, because otherwise you're stuck in this umbrella company, even more bound, you know, and I wanted to have freedom um, to do freedom. And, um, and the thing that was uh, really interesting in, you know, you do an MBA, a lot of people are very, you know, from corporate backgrounds they're very focused on their careers. And um, we get asked, uh, you, you know, if they go around the room and say, do an intro, you know, why are you here? And, you know, everybody's like, oh, I want to have a senior, you know, exec position. I'd like to be a CTO or blah, 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 and everything. And they got to me and said, you know, why are you here? And I said, oh, I'm here because I want freedom. And I think everybody was like, what? And I don't think anybody understood. And I said, well, look, I want to have the knowledge and the freedom to be able to choose how I work and who I work with. And by, you know, increasing that 
knowledge, then I, I give myself more freedom to, to yeah. choose. And, um, you know, I always think of, um, there was this fantastic interview with Anthony Hopkins years ago, and somebody asked him, what is his favorite word? And he said, no. And he said, the thing is with no, he said, if you have the power to say no, it's unbelievable. And I'm like, it's so true, isn't it? Because sometimes you don't really have the chance to say no. You have to say yes to things because, because you, you know, you're financially strapped or because of yeah. this, you have to say yes. And you, if you can have the power to say no and choose, it's really, really a powerful thing. And that, that really made a difference and you know to be able to do that and you know I, I wouldn't say that I'm quite in that 100% position I'm getting there and um, it's it's developing that business and understanding how to do it and wow how many hats do you have to have on and that's why I have the extended team honestly sometimes I think I'm losing my mind like what am I talking about today because there's accountancy finance then business development oh there's a project here and I'm like what there's so much going on in your brain you know you're trying to manage all it's like spinning plates and that's the best thing I do so I have like a number of people who are sort of almost semi-permanent people that manage operation stuff so I'm like yeah. everything else you know the finance and the accounting and my process and operations somebody does all of this automation for me and gets all my systems ready I've yeah. got somebody else who runs you know some part of my CRM and that that really made a difference because I had this ridiculous idea I was going to do it. I mean, what the hang I thought I was going to do? I don't know. So um, that was that was the biggest risk. And it's and it's still, you know, it's not easy. I think you've got to it takes a while to develop. And it's I was yeah. explaining to somebody yeah. else the other day. And it's particularly when you, you know, you develop in your own business. It's like it's almost like the old fashioned water pump. You know, you just got to pump pump and you have to keep doing it and slowly it's coming up the line but and you could see it moving but just really slowly and yes. you have to just keep pumping because so if you stop pumping it'll just drop back yes and it, it'll eventually it comes but it just and you have to be consistent and just keep doing it keep doing it and it'll eventually come but it's it's knowing that that's coming I think and you've got to have the focus and the faith that that's going to come yes that's a such a beautiful analogy because that's how it is you know I can relate obviously and there and I'm thinking yeah and there I am at the end going I'm so thirsty I'm so thirsty please come on I mean if it was a tap it would be lovely with pressure and everything yeah. wouldn't that be amazing <laughs> but no, it doesn't work that way kind of positions that you're going it's going to be when you work for yourself right if you ever believe any of the marketing out there and then you Get in there and if you're like me who has, you know, not business experience prior um, mm. and would still say not business experience right now because I'm only one person so you can't really call that, you know, like a conglomerate or anything. But, yes, that perfect, I'm going to remember that, pumping the water because if you do stop, it does go back down into the well. <laughs> you've got to keep it on because there's no pressure behind it yes. you, you're the pressure you've got to keep doing it <laughs> that is gorgeous thank you so much for that and thanks for sharing your biggest risk that you've taken because it is a bloody risk you know and anything oh, yeah. in work is a risk you know taking changing careers 
starting working for a new company, any of that, all of it is risk. But working for yourself where, like you say, you've got 50 million spinning plates and you're responsible for keeping them all up and there's, you know, at least in a, a, a career when you're working for someone else, you've still got all of that, but there's money coming in. They're still paying yeah. you at the end of the week. We yeah, have to keep those exactly. plates spinning. And that water pumping. It's really, oh, yeah. you know, it's a real <laughs> pat your head and rub your tummy kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I think you have to, you know, I definitely think that, you know, same with focus and belief. I think you, you, you once you pick a strategy or an approach, you really have to commit to it. Yeah. And that I, yeah. I find, and it's, it's both financially and, you know, sort of your resource time and everything else. You just go, right, that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to keep going with this. And I know it's going to, it's going to flip back, but you, you have to commit to everything to it and get that system moving and it, it will eventually come around, but it's just having the patience and knowing that, it, you know, it's the long game. Yeah, it's the perseverance. I was reading something the other day or listening to something and he was talking about, oh, my, my latest favourite book, uh, which I've been, I've listened to a bazillion times before, but re-listening to it lately, um, The Obstacle is the Way. The difference between perseverance and persistence, you know, so you're being persistent in, in continuing with something and, and keeping at something until you get the result. But perseverance is, like you say, that's over the long haul, that's through the ups and downs, through the, you know, maintaining your belief, maintaining your faith, not looking at what's happening that tells you that you're being a dick and please give it up. It's just going, I will not give in. And you know all about perseverance with all your, I am coming back to that run across the desert. <laughs> I'm so keen to get back to that. In fact, I think we need to talk about that. Can you tell me how, six days, wasn't it? Six days across the Sahara, yep. Wow. Really and tough. How long ago was that? Oh, man. When was that? I think that was, was it 2018? I feel like I want to say it's 2018. So what's that, four years ago? Wow, not that long ago. Yeah. Well, it feels like ages ago now. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's been a lot going on, hasn't there? <laughs> I know when I look at the pictures, it's it's a really weird thing. I look at them like, oh, that was me. Here you think, oh yeah, I did that. It's it's really strange. I feel like I'm looking at somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> looking through the tunnel of time. But tell me, self-supported, what does that mean? Does that mean that you have to have people who are following you or setting up, you know, stations where you're turning up and you know, and getting recovery and all of that? as opposed to some of the other, like when you do a triathlon and, and um, Ironman, you know, they have stations set up for you. Is that what sells? So what they, yeah, they, they do it slightly different because it's in the Sahara. So it's like, and it is literally in the middle of nowhere. Yes. So we arrived at this really tiny airport, which I've completely forgotten the name of in Morocco. And they put you on a bus and they drive you for six hours into the desert. And there's just, there's nothing. I mean, you know, there is road. And then they put up a, a base camp. And the self-supporting bit comes in that you have to have your own sleeping gear um, and your own food and your own cooking equipment or whatever you're going to use to feed yourself. But they will provide the water. 
So yeah. obviously you, you can't expect it to carry all the water. So they supply water and they have medical support. And they have the base camp is um, is kind of very Bedouin approach that, you know, you call it a tent, but it's sort of just this canvas awning with some like tree stumps that hold it up. And then there's a Bedouin sort of rug on the floor with all of the lovely stones that are all underneath it. That you have to, I mean, when you say desert, it's sort of, it's such a varied thing. So it's not all this lovely soft sand. So it's like a lot of hard packed sort of riverbed things. So you spend each evening trying to pick out the stones from underneath the rug and find it that you can go, oh, look, here's the soft bit. So you kind of have to carry all of that. So it's carrying your food and your um, sleeping gear uh, and anything else you need for warmth or so on. But that that was quite hard. So it's really like quite anal that you have to work out exactly what you need to eat, you know, through the day. And they have a, a, a minimum, I think it was a minimum of 2000 calories a day, if I remember. And yeah. you have to prove that. So they will actually, they don't check everybody's bags, but they do spot checks to make sure that you have enough calories because you obviously you get some people who think, oh, I'll just run with less. And of course, it's just not enough. And then so, they um, yeah, so you have to make sure that you've got all of the, so everything is like packed in, in different days and you've got your bags written up. So it's all in like, the great thing is though, as you get to the, towards the end, your pack gets lighter. Yeah, yeah. The content. <laughs> so there is a benefit there. But um, so yeah, I spend a lot of time. pack every day with your sleeping day, bag, yeah. your food, everything. You're running with everything. Because the base camp moves every day. Yeah. So they kind of have, you know, you're, you're running across the desert. So the base camp will kind of move over there and you'll kind of run a piece here. And then there's a new base camp, but you stay in the same. So they have all these tent numbers and you yeah. all stay in the same tent, but um, you have to take everything with you. So you pretty much unpack. So it's like a kit explosion yes. in the morning, <clears throat> find everything, put it all back in your bag and then off you go. And then straight and run with go. pack. I hate carrying a pack anyway. So running with the pack would just do my head in. <laughs> And I think it didn't help that, you know, you're running with a pack and it's, uh, you know, most days it was about 40 to 50 degrees Celsius. So it's just, I can't even explain that kind of heat. And it's just, there's no shade or anything. It's no, just, nothing. it's hot. <laughs> Thank goodness it's not humid. I think that's probably the one thing that is the difference. It's dry heat, yeah. but it's, yeah. um, it's just savage. Yeah. Really, really hot. So by the end of, you know, sort of the afternoons just is really, really hot. And how far do you run a day? Do you remember? On average, it's about a marathon a day. So like um, but 40, it's quite, 42 kilometers or something a day. Yeah. It's, it's on average is about that. And, but, and some of it can be quite, uh, quite lumpy. So there's, there's quite big mountains and hills that you're climbing over. So they'll right. take you up a, a cool one. You have to climb up over the mountains. So it's, it's a really interesting terrain. So it's all very volcanic because there's a lot of black rock there. Um, and so quite a lot of big mountains and you, the, the terrain changes all the time. So you've got, you know, people just think of these massive big sand dunes and it's, I think maybe we saw one or two big sand dunes that I, I did, but the rest are, you know, dried riverbeds. Um, and then you've got sort of the worst were these things, I think they call them ergs. And an erg is basically a sea of smaller dunes. So they, they're only sort of maybe about knee height, but they're really loose. Oh, man, that is hard because you just 
going up and you as you slide you're just sliding 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 so you know it's almost like you're trying to swim yes. across it and you just keep sliding sliding so you have to try and get across and then going across those I think the sandy bits are the worst because they're they actually um attract heat so it's almost like an oven because you, oh. you have people cooking stuff on the beach which I'm sure you, you guys have probably done but you know it the sand traps loads of the heat so you've yep. got the heat from the sun and the heat coming up yeah and you just like you just feel like you're sort of some roast roast pig or something that you're yeah. waiting just cooking in the fan forced oven there yeah yeah wow. and you've got to you know you've got to take a lot of people take glue for their trainers because the trainers just fall apart yes because they melt yeah. in the heat um yeah. so you know everything does get quite hot so it's uh yeah, it's taking care of your feet. I think that's probably the biggest thing when you, you're doing that race is really making sure your feet are all right. I read a, one of the guys, a book I read recently, and he did a lot of like extraordinary things, ultras, but he's also like a Navy SEAL and, you know, done some really extraordinary things. But when he moved from being um, a Navy SEAL to doing ultras and um, marathons and Ironmans and things and he talked about where some of the people cut out the side of their shoes you know so they don't get the bunion thing and the rubbing and all sorts of things which he said he didn't know about of course at first and it's like the horrible pain toenails lifting off and all sorts of things so oh yeah you get you get a lot of that I mean um, I think the thing I I went for in the end is um they always advise that you've got to have a shoe size, at least one or two size bigger. Yes. Because your feet swell. Yes. Um, on yes. top of that is they, they're, uh, they've got a fantastic med team and they basically sort your feet out. But if you've got blisters, they'll sort them out, but then they have to bandage them. So you need that space again in your shoes. Yes. Um, yes. You also wear two pairs of socks. And that definitely, I think, is the magic in there. So I wore like, you know, those toe socks where they're kind of in between oh, your yeah, toes? Yeah. The toe socks first so that you don't have the rub between your toes. Yes. And then you've got a normal sock over the top. And oh. that, that makes a difference. But it's, it's, it's not conducive for, for your skin and your feet because you've got that and then you have the shoe. And because you're running in sand you have this gaiter that you put over your shoe to stop the, the sand, sand from coming in. Yep. So it's effectively yep. like putting your feet in a plastic bag. Yeah, it just like intensify so, your heat. So the heat in your feet is unbelievable. You have two pairs of socks, plastic bag over the top, and it's like 50 degrees. So it's, you know, it's inevitable that you will get blisters, and it's just yep. a matter of yep. time, really. And not much time, I imagine, really, in the end. It's not like it's the last day. <laughs> no, no, that's the thing. Yeah, you've got six days of it. So you have to just keep, you know, taping up your feet, running through it. And it's weird because in the morning you feel like, oh, man, my feet are so sore. You know, it's never mind the energy. It's, you know, the pains that your feet might yeah. be in and sort of go, and it's weird. You feel it for the first five months, and you just almost like you become numb to it. And you're like, okay, let's just keep going now. I've heard that that you do, um, you just adjust to the heat, uh, yeah. to the to the pain. Like your brain just goes, okay, that's that's what we're doing today. <laughs> Fine, let's keep going. Um, yeah. 
And tell me when you when you were doing the running it because I think people think of it as you're running in a pack, but you're not, are you? You over that length of time and distance, do you end up spending a lot of that six days just running your own race because no one's around you? It's a mix, so it just depends. It depends on the day um, because everybody has their ups and downs. And, you know, some people be running faster, some slower. And so, you know, some days I'll be on my own and I can see a few people in front or behind me. And then some people are together, but you're not really, you know, there's so much, it's so much open expanse. And, yeah. and because the way to survive it is, is walking and running, you know, yeah. you, you have to learn. I think a lot of people make an error of just thinking they're going to run it and do it in a set amount of time. You actually have to learn to be on your feet for longer. Yes. And that actually is harder, you know, just keeping going for a longer period of time than just running it in four hours. You can't do that. You have to think about, you know, because you and it's the heat as well. The, the harder you push yourself in that kind of heat. Yeah, it's really not healthy because your heart rate comes up. And so you, you have to be quite mindful that your pace has to slow down in the heat. Yeah. Um, and, you know, drinking really important drinking. Um, so, so important. And do they, so do you have to carry with you for the whole rate, like for the whole day, enough water for the day? No. So they will have um, checkpoints. And I think right. they had, did they have two or three checkpoints? I think, I think it was two or three, depends on the day. Um, yeah. And you just go and get new water. But yeah. what you do is they, I actually personally felt like it was quite hard for the guys because they allocate you with a set amount of water per person, regardless of male or female. Oh, right, so, yeah. and, and actually the guys, because they are bigger, they need more water. Yes. So I found that I actually didn't use all my water. So what we do is, you know, you, you very much, um, you feel like you're in a unit, yes. you know, in our little yeah. tent family, we'd be swapping stuff. So like, oh, I need one of the burners for my, you know, my cooker. Yeah. Somebody needs a plaster. I've got some water. And we're all like, does anybody have any of this? And we're always, it was it's never a camaraderie, sort of isn't it? Yeah, it was never a case of like, oh, this is all mine. Everybody was always trying to help each other out. And even in the event, which is why I like uh, adventure races and that more so than I'm not into any kind of road race marathon stuff because yeah. people are very happy to help you. You know, everybody always asks, are you okay? Because if you'd stop, they'd make sure you're yeah. fine and um that was a, a thing and I, I can't remember how much we got per day what was the amount of sugar? I'm not really sure because they give you water in the morning so that you yeah. could cook your breakfast a drink and then you have obviously during the race and then when you come in you get allocated another lot of water yeah. um but because they give you so much during the race I'd have two big bottles that were sort of within my pack sitting in my um uh, in the straps yeah but in I had like a front pack here and I could actually slide a bottle in the top but you had to one of the things I learned afterwards is actually the best thing you can do is actually pour water in your head because you just got to keep cooling yourself down because yeah. you know I was thinking oh, I don't need all this water but actually pouring it on your head and I had this because you run with one of those you know the desert right here you've got a baseball cap with a flap on the back yes to cover yeah. your neck oh that was lovely you pour water down it and then it was like somebody had a little cold flannel just touching the back of my neck. Oh, it's heaven. And it would just be flapping against the back of my neck. My, oh, it's so nice. 
<laughs> it was cold. <laughs> Thank God for the dampness. <laughs> yeah, I was just having, I, I did spend a lot of time fantasizing about a cold Diet Coke. And you know, you get condensation down the side yeah. of the glass when it's icy. I'm like, oh, imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> I've read stories of, because uh, I like all the survival stories, people lost at sea and, you know, lost in the bush and whatever. And um, I was reading one of a guy, you know, he'd been adrift for, I don't, I can't remember, 90 days or something. It was an extraordinary amount of time that he kept himself alive. And he talked about his um, food fantasies, you know, he said, you know, it sort of at first you go, no, don't think about the food. And then it was like, yeah, that's as good as it's going to get. So think about the food, you know, really elaborate on the food fantasies. Oh, man, ice, so nice. Just like, <laughs> oh, ice, just heaven. I did really. I did really feel sorry for the people in the hotel because when uh, when you finish after the six days, they drive you back and then you stay in this like five star hotel, which is honestly is like oasis. You know when you've been in the desert <laughs> and you're like, wow. And you we come in and you, when you do this race, there's no showers, there's no nothing. Oh, so you, you don't shower for the six days. No, there's no showers, there's nothing. And so you you just literally in the same clothes. It, it's really quite disgusting, but. You come in and we were like these sort of hideous sand people, you know, we're like sand coming <laughs> off us. And they were like, check in. And then all of this beautiful hotel, it's all luxurious. They must have gone, oh, my God, who are these people? We're like a group that of, shower of must refugees have... coming in. Yeah. I was just going to say that shower must have been the best shower of your life. Heaven. Heaven. So bed, nice. A proper bed, sleeping on, didn't have to move all the rocks. Yeah, it was all the sand that was at the bottom of the bath, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, though, uh, how is it that you push through? So this is the thing. How do you push your mind through the inevitable pain barriers because I've been reading about this right I, I I have no concept myself of how it would be in those pain barriers but reading um the books and people's stories of just how like it I think people think when someone does ultras and marathons of any kind any of that stuff that they don't feel the pain right there's something magical about you and that you don't actually there's no pain, but there is pain and you have to push yourself through those barriers. And in the case of a six-day race across the Sahara, you've got to keep getting yourself up in the morning, sore feet, into those shoes, get running. And like you say, the first while, it hurts. So what thinking capacity can you pass on about how to get through the pain because we all go through different pains not like that but it is our mind that allows us to move beyond it I would say I think the thing is you've got to be able to do something that's right for you and I think that probably is the best thing I'd say is yes there are things that people can teach you that they did but yeah. it means you've got to adapt it for what's right for you. And it's it's um, something that I I always am aware of. I know what my capabilities are. And I'm, by the way, I'm in no way fast. I'm always towards the back of the pack, never at the fast thing. And, you know, it, 
your measure of success is also different. You know, some people are like, what do I do speed race? And, you know, because also, Katie, I'm getting so old now. My measure of success these days is, number one, make it to the start line without being injured. Number two, don't get disqualified. And number three, finish. It's like those three things. If I can do those things, awesome. And, you know, it's, it's making sure I get there. Um, and I think knowing the distance of preparation, I find is important. So I do a lot of research, understanding what am I in for? And yeah. I think that really helps me because I did a lot of watching things on YouTube. Um, a load of people had videoed uh, during the race what they were doing and just certain things that I picked up on um, yeah. whilst people were doing the race that I thought, actually, I'll prepare that and watch out for this. And I, I remember them talking about, because um, the one, what they do is you've got six days and on the, the fourth day you do an ultra marathon. So you run through the night. Right. So you're doing a double, you're doing a double marathon and you, you run basically all day, all night, but you can sleep. So they, they give you quite a generous portion of time to finish. And there are different checkpoints where you can just, it's the same thing, you know, it's a little awning, whatever, and you've got everything with you. Yeah. So you can pretty much sleep anyway. Um, so you can have little cat naps. Um, and I remember somebody saying how hard that was, um, that and also during the days that you can see where the checkpoint is and that is pretty horrible because normal vents you know there's trees and yes. you know buildings yeah. and you can't see but if you can just see for miles yeah all you can see is this like shimmering light of a windscreen from one of the cars at the checkpoint and like how far is that oh man and you can just look at it for hours yeah. knowing that it's yeah. still there and you still seem so far away and I think that was quite good preparation knowing that was what I was going to experience yes so you sort of you know mentally prepare yourself and I I find that definitely for me is even more so important than the physical preparation yeah. is is mentally preparing that you know I when I do cycle stuff or whatever I like to know I've done the distance so you know my partner always teases me because he doesn't do anywhere near the training he only does cycling but I, I like to do it because then I, in my head, tick, I've done it. I know I can do it and I feel prepared. And no matter what happens, I know in my head I've done it and I can do that distance. Yeah. And I think that's, that's probably the key thing is, is being aware of, you know, what sort of speed you need to do. So I'm measured and I'm, you know, take it easy. I don't want to burn out. Yes. I don't want to dehydrate. Uh, I want to be able to finish. So those are my things to do. So take it steady. I'll, you know, walk a bit, run a bit. And, you know, there were days where I was like having a, oh, I had a terrible day. One day I, um, I think I was suffering some uh, heat exhaustion. And, you know, when you heat exhaustion, you're either you're throwing up or you get a runny tummy. And that yep. is just unpleasant in a desert environment. And you're trying to, you know, run across the desert. Oh. No shower, no toilets. Oh, it's just really awful. And, you know, it was quite common that everybody has that. And I had to really concentrate with that. And I got to my checkpoint. And, you know, instead of just going, I'm going to rush on, I'm like, right, took my shoes off, took my pack off. And they have like an awning. I just lay down, drank some water. And I probably was there for about half an hour. Yep. But, you know, I yep. just needed, I knew that I needed to just cool down and just have a rest. Yes. and drinking the yeah. water and taking my time and it made a huge difference and you know then got back up on it and actually I felt fine again so you've I think you have to know when to to pause and and not to keep pushing through but know know your body and just know that you know you need to get to the end yeah 
And I think it's good advice for life, right? Know your body, know what you need to do, when to take your rest and what, how to look after yourself because there's still distance to go. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people I can see them were burning out because yes. they were just pushing too hard and, you know, that's the risk. And you think, oh, and it's a lot of money to get there. And it's a lot of planning, you know, it's a year and a half of training. And yep. you think, if you go there and just do something stupid, oh, you're going to, it's like a reset button. You have to start all over again. It'll be another three years before you get to it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is it. I'm only doing it once. This is a one shot thing. I'm doing it once and that's it. Awesome. And um, I do really want to see the photos of that at some point, if you don't mind sharing them privately with me somewhere along the way. I do want to see. Oh. um and especially if there's one of you at the end you know before and after (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) I hobbled across the end (laughs) so of all the things that you've done because you do do a lot of things you do a lot of variety in sports what is your favorite I kind of I mean I do like the adventure stuff and I like cycling it's it's a real mix, and, and that's probably why I do all of the different things because I like a mixture of different sport. And I always like triathlon because of you doing different disciplines. So, you know, I like cycling, I like running, I like swimming, and I like doing all of those. Although um, I think the start of a, um, of a triathlon is pretty horrendous. It's like being in some kind of underwater bar brawl. It's just awful. Cause oh, because you all dive in oh everybody's like swimming on top and you just get smacked in the head and kicked in the face and oh it's awful <laughs> so that's that probably yeah you need to keep your cool for the first five minutes of that but um other than that the swimming part is nice but i i'd probably say um yeah the adventure races are nice and the cycling because i do a lot of cycling tours and that yeah. i quite like because it's more of a a challenge but not necessarily a race and and i i think one of the things i always do is i'm i'm a very uh let's call it social or relaxed sports person. I, I don't sort of take myself too seriously that, you know, yeah. if I'm doing a, a run the next day, yeah, I'll try and relax and do that. But, you know, I'll have a beer and do whatever the day before. I'm not going to be like, oh, I must have only these things to eat. And I do that. And I'm not, I don't take it. You know, for me, it's about having a great time and the journey as well. I think yeah. that's the most yeah. important thing is enjoy the journey. I'm not like just trying to get to an end. I want to have a great experience and, yes. you know, meeting people who are, are good. And I find people are doing sort of ultras and um, adventure races have a different mindset that they are more relaxed. Yeah. They don't, they're not on this whole, you know, I have to be at the front and, you know, take myself too seriously. Uh, I so want to come and watch you one day or just support you. <laughs> you'd be underwhelmed. You know- I have to tell you, you'd be <laughs> underwhelmed. I'm really slow to be like, she comes she's still not here <laughs> i'll pop down the pub wait for her to come with honestly just send me a text when you're near here lauren exactly that's exactly how it'd work uh, i more really would want to be you know like the the little person who sits on your shoulder and listens to your thoughts and hears how you move oh. yourself through those pain barriers and the you know the challenges of it all because that's where I it's at I- right yeah, I think my partner would say that probably is a really scary place to be. <laughs> but I did, I mean, I did an ultra race last week and I did have to have a lot of words with myself because I, I was just struggling on the last bit and I was like, oh man, 
do I have to do this? And I was just, and what I was just doing is finding checkpoints. So I'd be like, right, you see that tree over there? All right, we're going to get to that tree. No, no, no. Okay, now we're just going to have a little rest. Okay, now the next thing we're going to do is that. So just finding little milestones, keep going to the next thing. And then I was like, okay, I've done another mile. It's all right. Yes, you got to break it down. Isn't that the same for most things in life? Well, you got to break yeah. it down into the tiniest thing that you can do and achieve. And then your brain yeah. goes, oh, that's a win. Cool. Yeah, I think if you, over, if you think of the whole thing, and, you know, I do that definitely, actually, I forgot to say that, is um, one of the things I definitely do during a, an ultra or a longer distance race is I spend ages doing fractions. I'd read up against um, about Paula. I don't know if you, Paula Ratcliffe is a marathon runner, very yeah. famous marathon. She's done loads of Olympic marathon, Olympic uh, medals and so on. Um, she's retired now, but I read up and she'd said what she does when she's in pain is she counts to a hundred. Yes. And I found that just didn't work for me. It wasn't enough to think about. So I'd get to like 10 and then go, oh, my foot's sore again. And I think, <laughs> but spend time, Actually, I do fractions. So, you know, I go, okay, ultra is 50. And then I try and go, half of that is 25. Half of this is 12. And then six. And then, and then when I get to a point, I'm like, oh, look, I've done two fifths. I, and I, I actually honestly do everything in fractions. So I, I always, in my head, talk about what I've done, not what I have to do. Yes. So I always focus on the, the done bits and then go, I've done two, six, but like really tiny fractions because each yep. time I'm getting a milestone. Yes. So that I can not have to think about what's still to come. Yeah, because that's when the brain gets in, right? Oh, it's too far. I've got, I'm never going to make that. Oh, my God. And it gives up before you're, you've got such the great strategy where you're thinking about what you've done, which is great. Look how far you've come, which is boosting. And the and fact I, that you do that, sorry. I was going to say, and my brain is spending all the time trying to do the fractions because I'm rubbish yep. at maths, by the way. Yeah, so that keeps my brain busy. <laughs> and, you know, that's a survival strategy. So I like to study the difference of, you know, um, survival behaviour and, and survival personality. And one of the, the things that comes out for people who are survivors is they often use math as a way of overcoming their mind. It's something in the numbers where they do counting, like your other friend, or um, you do fractions, but they do use math in some way, shape or form to move them through. Even, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, the story of Joe Simpson. He was some, a mountaineer and, you know, fell through a crevasse and broke his leg and, you know, his mate had to leave him for dead because they were up in the, the mountain oh, and yeah, stuff. Um, what's it called? Oh, I know what you mean. It's Touching incredible. The void. Yes. Oh, yeah. what a story. Yes. And he used counting and, and patterns and hopping and stuff. And so that there's a real, that is a, uh, just a natural thing that our people who have the survivor personality, they go to because it helps to keep the brain busy while you're managing, while your body's got to go through the rest of what it's got to go through. Yeah, so true. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. I, I will have you on the show again at some point because I really like digging around in that stuff because that's, <laughs> you know, it's just so you, you purposely put yourself through those hardships and obstacles for 
joy and fun, right? You're doing it for pleasure. And yet it's by doing those things that really builds your, you know, your survival behaviour and, and personality for when all the other shit in life comes because life's full of stuff like that, as you know. And so I, I just really do like talking about that. And on the back of that, I also like talking about what people do for fun. And I think your fun and all of that is one and the same, isn't it? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, my, my, I have to say my poor partner is long suffering because he, he, he likes to cycle, but just, you know, as and when. And uh, I think he's, his point is he always says, can't we just go on a holiday where we just do nothing and lie by a pool? I'm like, no, that's too boring. <laughs> and he's always like, but can't we just try it once? And I said, no, we're going to do stuff because he knows that whatever there's a holiday. We've got to climb a mountain. We've got to run something. We've got to cycle. He's like, why do we have to always do things? I just want to lie somewhere. Well, maybe you need to do the combination one where you, you cycle to the resort, a different resort every day, and then maybe spend one day there in lounging around the pool and then the next day or whatever, cycle to the next resort. Well, we came up with a compromise, actually. We went to Tuscany about two, three years ago with a whole group of friends. We hired a villa, there's a pool, everything, and I had a bike. It was brilliant. It was really mountainous. So I'd get up every day at half five and go do like three hours of riding. And when I got back, everybody was just waking up. So then we'd all have breakfast and everything. And it was great because uh, he... My partner always actually assists. It's like having a dog. You've just got to make sure you walk. And so it's like, just let her exercise because she'll be painful if she doesn't do anything. They're climbing the walls. <laughs> yeah, just let her, just let her go. And so uh, that that was a good compromise. But yeah, I think um, I think that. And then the doing for fun. I I mean, I always love films and uh, good TV series. I think you know, really sort of gritty crime drama sort of stuff. Yeah. And. And I do love movies and I love gardening as well. I do love my garden. That is my fun. Oh, nice. What's your favourite plant to grow? Well, I kind of like shrubs, really. Shrubs are my thing. I, I like a mix of stuff. Um, I do have a sort of thing for hydrangeas. I love that. And yeah. I love climbing yeah. roses. So it's sort of more cottagey garden. So we're yeah. in the process of fixing up our garden because it was just like a blank canvas. So I've been slowly planting. You know, it's about price and time. So I'm slowly putting beds in, which is so much fun. So I'm like, you know, just dug out a bed and now I've got to plant it, which is fun. And I love the fact you can just watch them grow and you're like, oh, I did that. Yes. <laughs> I think I told you I used to be a horticulturist and um, I, I was rubbish. You know, that thing that you do all day isn't the thing you want to do at home, as it turns out. So I never had a very good garden at home, but I had some beautiful gardens. I won gardening competitions a couple of times. And, um, oh, Wow. It's so nice. You're right. Uh, what I, though, from gardening, whenever I will one day have my own garden again, it will all be things that you can smell. Yes, nice. Things that you can eat. And there will be nothing with thorns. Oh, yeah. Oh, except maybe the rose, like, right? I do like the rose. Yeah. I've got the rose and I've said pyracanthus. I do like pyracanthus, but they need to be in a place that you're not meant to cross over because they are quite vicious. Yes. Um, I think so. But I'm going to, now that I know that, I've, I've, I had forgotten that. Next time, because sometimes I'll spot them, I'm like, what is this? Some random things growing in my garden. And I'll often message my mum and my aunt. I think you might be on my next list. I went, yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. what is this? I found it in my garden. I don't know what it is. 
definitely ask me. And if I don't know, I'll show my mum. She's been a mad gardener. All, I think that's where I got it from. Mum's been a gardener all her life. So by all means, send it over. Lovely. You're, you're on my reference list now. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's an app where you can take a photo of plant and it'll tell you what I have seen one yeah I think I can't remember there was one that had um, charged it or something and I was like oh do I don't I because my neighbor's Uh, quite pay for it yeah she's quite a sort of uh, expert on garden plants and so between my aunt and my mum I thought I sure I can get this free and you know I've got Katie as well now yes happy to help (laughs) (laughs) what do you do for relaxation yeah I, I think it's obviously movies, not laying by the pool. No, <laughs> movies. I think movies definitely. Uh, and then, you know, get friends over and, you know, we have a bri, of course, which, of course, people don't understand that word, as well as known as a barbecue. Yes. But, um, yeah. We do get people over now that it's summer here, which is lovely. So um, I do like that, getting people over, having a bri and just chilling out. Um, yeah, kind of entertaining people seeing friends um bit of movie watching but I find it yeah I don't really have much time to do other things really because in between that when I'm doing training for stuff I find you know I I kind of don't really put too much else in otherwise it just gets a bit too chaotic yeah are you training for something now at the moment what's your next event I've got a couple of trail races I'm doing this year um so I'm just trying to build up my distance at the moment yeah so I'm slowly but surely getting up the distance um so I've got stuff coming up in the autumn um which will be nice because um you don't want to be running in the sun I think that's that's always my thing I'm like oh even though I've done a desert race and really the sun compared to what I've done is nothing but yeah it's just getting used to it again so um yeah a couple of trail races I think because I just kept it local because it's just after COVID I thought I don't want to get involved in anything that's complicated that I've got to drive somewhere and yeah. stay in a hotel, just something simple. Yep. So I'm keeping it quite low key this year. And then um, I'd like to do some bigger stuff in a few years time. So a couple of things I'm keeping my eye on in the Himalayas and then one in Iceland, which I think will be fun because oh. and I actually the other thing I like to do is combine it with travel and, you know, yeah. go to nice places. I don't want to yeah. just go somewhere that's, really uninteresting I quite like that combination to see something new yes and you'll love Iceland I've been there it's gorgeous I'd love to go I only went for like a four-day weekend to run my one and only half marathon (laughs) for my 51st birthday but it's such a, a diverse country there's so many different landscapes there and interesting things and you know I was only there for four days but I, so I didn't get to see anything, but there's you've got the glaciers, you've got the volcanic, the volcanic fields, you've got the big waterfalls. It's just the geysers, the steam coming out of the mountains. It's amazing. Like really, would yeah. want to go back there for a good while and have a good look around. I've been desperate to go for ages, and then I uh, saw this event and I thought, well, there you go. I can do that at the same time. I can go and do this. See, because yep. while you're running, you're taking everything in. Yeah. And I thought that's yep. perfect. And then I could do a little bit of sightseeing on the end of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, happy days. I think that that could be the next plan. 
nice fun station amazing chatting with you lauren it's been like honestly we've gone so over time and i've loved every minute of it and i could keep talking to you for hours more so i can't get to ask you the last of my questions which is a little bit more about your business but if people would like to connect with you find out more about your business and how you can help them where can they find you so you can find me on linkedin i'm uh down if you just search for Lauren Cooper Marketeer. That's how you'll find me. And uh, otherwise, you can email me at uh, client at adaptwithlauren.com. Thank you so much. And we'll put your details up at the end as well, anyway. So I, it really saddens me to say goodbye today because we've had such a great conversation. And thanks again for coming on the show, Lauren. You're just such a delight. And, um, and thank you to everybody who's watched us today. It's always so hard to say goodbye. So please make sure that you subscribe to the channel, leave us a comment, give us a like, and please leave a comment if there's something that we've talked about today that you found interesting, or if you've got any questions, you wanna know more about ultras or anything at all for Lauren, we would love to answer your questions. So thanks for watching and we will see you on the next show. And in the meantime, here's to your health and happiness so you can love what you create. Bye for now.